Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, meditation of each heart here, and those who later this morning will be watching online, may those meditations be acceptable in your sight as your Spirit descends upon your word and your promises and lifts from our hearts the fears that burden us. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen. She's 32 years of age. She lives out of state. She contacted me this past week. She said, Pastor, I haven't been inside a church since the day I was confirmed as a 14-year-old, and 18 years have gone by. She said, I heard you speak that uh, our Red Seas would come in the realm of three areas. One in the realm of relationships, or in the realm of health, or in the realm of finances. She said, I hit the, per, the trifecta, Pastor, I hit the trifecta. My husband left me. Two weeks after he left me, I was diagnosed with MS. And two weeks after I was diagnosed with MS, I lost the place where I was staying because of my illness. I could not work. The trifecta, Pastor. And then she said, my grandpa said to me, you need to go online and you need to listen to the services coming out of Trinity because they are covering for a 10-week period Red Sea rules. And I'm thinking, granddaughter, that it might be a benefit to you. She said to me, after 18 years of staying as far away from God as I could, I am as close to him now as I have ever been in my life. And if I dare thank my circumstances for anything, it would be for them bringing me back to God. Thank you for your online services, and thank you for choosing Red Sea Rules. It has brought me back to him. The power of God in human lives. Uh, Robert Morgan, when he wrote this book, uh, principle number five is this. You'll study it this week. We'll preach about it today. Stay calm and confident. Give God time to do his work. Stay calm and confident. Give God time to do his work. I want to speak on the matter of controlling your fears. 1 Peter 5, 7. The great apostle Peter, as he's writing to the church, undergoing persecution, filled with fear and uncertainty, if not downright terror, he says to them, control your fears, be vigilant about controlling your fears, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, 
Control your fears. Stand firm in the weapon of faith that the stronger power belongs to God. There's the word from Simon Peter. Be self-controlled. Control your fears. Stand firm in your faith. Fear is Satan's weapon. Faith is your weapon. If you don't control your fears, like the fire, wildfires out of control out west, your fear will ravage your faith. It will tear your faith to pieces. The dear lady who spoke to me last week, she said, fear is eating my lunch. When I wake up in the morning, it's already grabbed a hold of me. And in the middle of the afternoon, it's already grabbed hold of me. And if I get two or three hours of sleep, I'm a lucky person because fear is eating me alive. And that is when she spoke about the Red Sea rules. And the fact she's already read through the book four different times and and she's only had it for about a month. Fear is Satan's weapon. And he brings it into your life to consume one aspect of your life that is more important to him than to anything else. If he can grab hold of your faith and remove it from you, he's one his great victory. And what does he use to try and remove your faith? He uses fear. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. They are very close to God. They look forward to whenever he walked through that garden, they were right by his side. Satan comes and says, does God tell you not to eat of the fruit of the tree? And they said, yes, that is correct. And Satan says, God does surely lie, and they eat of that fruit. And the first thing that comes, the first thing that Satan brings against them is fear. How do we know they were afraid? The Bible says it. It says they heard God walking in the garden, and they were afraid. God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they said, we were afraid. We heard your voice in the garden. And God says to them, why were you afraid? And, he, and they said, we were naked. Our relationship with you has been broken. It has developed a huge chasm. And Satan comes and he takes that chasm and he fills it with fear, trying to separate you as far as possible from the one source of peace and strength that you might have. And that one source is God himself. I've said it many, many times before, the 95% of the people who say, I don't believe in God anymore. The key word is anymore. At one time they believed in him. What caused them not to believe in him? Storms. Why did he give that eight-year-old child a brain tumor? Why did he allow that drunk driver who had three convictions to run into the car of my cousin, and he'll never be the same again. They look at circumstances on this earth, and the blame goes to God, and the fear rises, and their faith cannot be seen. I said last week, 
Jesus comment, Matthew 17, 20, If you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to that fear, you can say to that storm, you can say to that addiction, you can say it by means of prayer to God, you can say, move, and it will move. Fear is Satan's weapon. Faith is God's weapon given to you to stave off fear. Faith causes you to believe that the greater power belongs to God. And whatever shenanigans Satan is up to, whatever nightmares Satan is up to, Faith causes you to say to fear, Be gone, I trust in God. One of the hymns we sang is 450 years old. And I could not help but look at one of the verses last night as we were singing. And it talks about believing in the promises of God and chasing away fear. What is that? 450 years ago. He writes that in the hymn. You have this faith in God. You have the faith in the promises of God. And fear has to flee. 2 Timothy 1.7 It says, as Paul writes to Timothy, who has some great concern going on in his life that is causing him fear, Paul treating Timothy as he would a son He says to him, hey, Timothy, now, I'm going to tell you something. God did not give you a spirit of fear. If you have fear going on in your life, Timothy, it is not coming from God. It's coming from Satan. God did not give you a spirit of timidity or fear. That's coming from Satan. What God did give you, Timothy, what God did give you is a spirit of power. And a spirit of love. And a spirit of self-control. We understand him saying to Timothy, he gave you a spirit of power. That's encouraging. We understand what he meant when he said to Timothy, he gave you a spirit of love. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul decide to tell Timothy, he gave you a spirit of self-control? Why did he throw that in there? Because of how important self-control is. Self-control over temptation when it comes. And self-control over fear when it comes. He said, Timothy, you got great power. He said, Timothy, you have great love for God and for other people. But Timothy, if you don't control your fears if you don't have self-control over your fears, it will devour the power that God has given you. And it will devour whatever love God has given you for other people and for God Himself. And you'll be lost, Timothy. You'll be lost with one thing. And that one thing is fear. Joseph in that pit some three weeks ago. And Joseph is terrified. 
He doesn't have his father's protection. He doesn't have the coat of many colors. He doesn't have the backing of his brothers. They're trying to kill him. He's in that pit overwhelmed with fear. And as David said in Psalm 139, can we ever enter a pit so deep and so dark that God's light can find us? And he answers the question in Psalm 139, the very next verse. He says, God's light will shine in the deepest darkness. Joseph is in that pit filled with fear, and a little light comes, and that light is the presence of God. As it is for this 32-year-old girl that I mentioned to you, God's light comes into her deepest darkness, and God's light explodes. And the first thing that has to disappear is fear. Was Jesus ever afraid? Theologians will argue it. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, I believe there is fear, his human nature. Hebrews 2.17 says he has to be tempted in all ways, even as we are, yet without sin. And when we then suffer with temptation, including fear, he knows what that's all about. In the midst of his fear, in the midst of his bleeding droplets of blood, Satan saying to him, convince God he can take care of this matter of mankind's sin some other way. Convince God he has the power to do it some other way. And thus Jesus begins his prayer, remove this cup from me. And then he says, fear be gone. Not my will, but God's be done. Fear be gone. Not my will, but God's be done. Self-control. You must have it or the power God puts in you will evaporate. Isaiah forty twenty nine. Even young men grow tired and weary. They're tired and weary of the fears that come across them and the temptations that arise. Even young men grow tired and weary of the storms they have to face. Even young men stumble and fall. But for those who wait, this is Robert Morgan, stay calm and confident, wait for the timing of God. But for those who wait upon God, he'll renew their strength. Fear will be conquered by their faith. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Control your fear or your power is gone. And control your fears or your love will be gone. Do you understand how important love is in conquering your fears? I'll explain. If you have love for other people, you lose yourself in your concern for them. This weekend would have been the marathon down Chicago. Was it not for COVID virus? I'm out there running on the bike trails yesterday, and I come across 20 runners, and they're running a virtual marathon. 
It's 12 noon and they've been running since 8 o'clock. Keeping track of their time and they'll, and they'll send it into headquarters. I think of that marathon in Boston a number of years ago. Finish line. Great explosion. People killed. Many injured. And as I was watching that on television, I'm amazed at the fact that everyone is running away from the smoke and the flames. But the policemen and the firemen and the paramedics, they're running into the smoke. They're running into the smoke. And they're coming out and they're carrying people out of the smoke and the flames. And the next day in the morning, I'm listening to the news and one of those paramedics said, most people are geared when they see something going on. They're filled with fear and they run far, far away. But if you're in our profession, fear is put aside by the greater concern for the person who's suffering. And thus they run into the smoke and the flame, whether it's 9-11, into the towers. Control your fears or your love for others, helping to lift your fears. It'll take over. I've told you many times that when I get down... I'll go to the hospital and I'll make sure I end up on the children's ward. And there are the parents of the children and there perhaps are the children if I'm lucky to meet them. And as I talk with the parents, whatever is going on in my life, it disappears just that quickly. Because I'm looking at them and their fears and their sorrows and their griefs. And mine is gone. Love reaches out to other people. Whatever's going on in your life, it goes. It disappears. In that moment of divine love and kindness extended. Why do support groups work the way they do? Alcoholics Anonymous or Drugs Anonymous or parents who have lost children. The list is an endless one. Why do they work so well? Because the people come in there with the same thing that others in that room are going through. And they can say to someone else who's filled with fear, you can do this. God will be with you. I was in the same state you were. And look at me now. Look at what God has done. Look at what the power from within you has done. Control your fears. Or your love for God and your love for others, which is so helpful in controlling the fears, will be gone. I shared with you a story two and a half years ago. He's a young boy. His name is Paul Strand. He's six years of age. He lives in Del Rio, Texas. His father is a minister. And his father would get in the station wagon and put the bikes in there and he would drive out into the desert country outside of Del Rio and he would study his sermon while his children, five in number, would ride their bikes, giving mom a break at home. On this particular day, my brothers and sisters aren't with me, it's just me. And dad gets out and he studies his sermon. I get on my bike and I ride down the country road. 
I come to a hill and I go over the top of the hill and when I'm on the other side of the hill, I look around and I cannot see. Because of the hill, I cannot see the car. I cannot see my dad. And if a six-year-old can have a panic attack, I had one. As I looked around me and I thought about all the rattlesnakes and tarantulas that were out there and the cactus and everything else, I saw no sign of life at all. Just a desert, endless. I was so paralyzed that when I tried to ride my bike up the hill, I didn't have the strength to do it. I got off my bike and I started to walk up the hill with my bike. I didn't have the strength to drag my bike. So I left it there and I walked to the top of the hill and I stood there. I looked out and I saw a car in the distance and next to the car I saw what I thought was a monster. A monster standing next to the car. And then this monster started walking down the road towards me, a mile away. And as I looked closely, I could see it wasn't a monster, it was a human being. I did not recognize who it was. I thought it was a stranger. I thought he would get me. I thought I'd never see my family again. I thought he'd do me harm. I could not move. And all of a sudden, as the stranger got closer, he said, Paul... And he started waving his hand. So many of our fears are imaginary. So many of our fears are imaginary. And if the storm is not imaginary, then God has made a promise. John 16, 33, the storm will come. But I've already overcome, I have already overcome the storm. So many things that cause us fear are imaginary. And if the storm is real, Matthew eleven twenty eight, bring to me your storm. Leave it in my lap. Walk away from it and you will have my peace. Closing word, story I shared exactly seven months ago. The very first time the shutdown came because of the COVID virus. If you were here seven months ago, you remember the story. It's indelible in my memory. If not, you'll be blessed. The first warning of the approaching problem came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, Fasten your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice, the voice of the pilot said, We'll not be serving beverages at this time. We're expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As the minister looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. Later, the pilot said, We're so sorry, we're not going to serve a meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies, and within moments, that great plain was like a cork tossed around on an ocean. 
One moment the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air, the next it dropped as if it were about to crash. The minister confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were weeping, some were praying, some were grabbing hold of the seat in front of them so tight. The future seemed ominous. We were wondering if we would survive this storm. And then suddenly I saw a little girl, the pastor said. The storm apparently meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on the seat. She was reading a book, and everything in her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes and she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not a part of her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The minister could not believe what he was seeing. It was not surprising then that when the plane finally reached its destination, the passengers applauded. Some of them vocally said, thank you, God, and they disembarked as quickly as they could. The minister spoke to the girl whom he had watched during the storm. And having commented about the storm and the airplane, he asked her, why she had not been afraid. And the girl said, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. Why are you and I so afraid? He was 27 years old and he had a brain tumor. He said to his dad one day, This has been like being on a raft. Sometimes the raft lands in a calm place. The cancer's in remission. And sometimes the raft lands in a very ugly place. Cancer's returned. But he said, Dad, I've always thought, ever since this started, that I am on a raft and that God is the pilot of that raft. And that's why I'm not afraid. Our fears are oft times imaginary. Sometimes the storm is real. But as the young girl said, my dad's the pilot, and he is taking us home. Control your fears. Stand firm in your faith in the promises of God. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, bless Red Sea Rule principle number five. Because if there is one enemy we face, it is temptation. And if there is a second great enemy, It is fear. 
both manipulated and brought by Satan himself. God gives us the power to control temptation and forgives us when we fall. He gives us the power to control our fears because 7,000 promises sealed by the blood of Christ belong to his children. Every one of them true. Every one of them sealed by the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. In whose name we pray, amen.